Alison. Hi, Sarah. We're going to start today with a subject I've been following for a while now. It's, it's quite heavy. Um, domestic violence. It's been all over the news this week in France, in particular what we now call femicide. That's the death of a woman at the hands of her partner because she's a woman. Yeah, so we've been hearing the numbers. Um, there are organizations that log the number of these deaths. They're up to 138 this year. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? And it's gotten people very angry. Last weekend, feminist groups held a rally against sexual violence. They were demanding the government to plough a billion euros into combating femicide. It, there was a huge turnout, up to around 150,000 people on the streets. Now, feminist groups have been helping to push the issue uh, to the top of the political agenda, and the government has just completed a three-month public debate. It's called a Grenelle. The focus was on family violence. And the French Prime Minister, Edouard Philippe, announced their conclusions on Monday this week. There's a whole package of measures, things including more places in shelters, more training for the police and teachers, uh, and changes to the law, which will be put before Parliament early next year. So, lots of announcements. There was lots of media attention around the announcements and also this Grenelle, but feminist groups are not entirely pleased with the results. No, not at all. In fact, in particular with the money, they were asking for a billion euros to fight domestic violence, but the budget for all of these changes uh, is stable, around 360 million euros. That isn't much more than that's been allocated in the past. So the feminists are saying it's just a communications exercise. But to get a clearer sense of what has come out of the Grenelle, I reached out to Catherine Le She's a lawyer specialising in sexual violence. And for her, the biggest legal change is introducing the notion of psychological control or entrapment into the law. You know, Sarah, this is often what explains why women who are victims of sexual violence take so long to leave their abusers. Psychological control is centred to any uh, feminist approach of violence against women because it's the way perpetrator are abusive. It's the control put in place before physical violence often. So it's very important that, for example, a suicide that is linked to this psychological control will be into law and will be fight up to 10 years jail. So if the perpetrator was found guilty of pushing the victim to commit suicide, uh, he could get a sentence of up to 10 years. Exactly. So this is something new that's not in law. We had some jurisprudence around this psychological control existing already because it's so centered to violence against women that it existed in jurisprudence, not in law, and definitely this notion of suicide linked to psychological control is new. I understand there's going to be changes to the rules that cover doctor-patient confidentiality. What might happen in that field? This might be uh, what we call a wrong good idea. It says that if a doctor sees a patient that is, he thinks, really in danger, he will be able to um, talk to the prosecutor and say this patient is in danger. Even if she doesn't agree to that? Yeah, and even not telling her, I think. And this is problematic to me because in working with women victims of violence, we are trying to build autonomy that they have lost through violence. And so... If you deprive them from this very right to organize their safety, well, it's not how you build autonomy for women.
There are also a number of more practical measures, things like more places in refuges to be created from the beginning of next year, and 26 centres are going to be set up to house perpetrators of domestic violence. It's not new, but I think it's very interesting, and it's due to the pressures of the feminist movement and of the protests. Um, Last weekend, 150,000 people took to the streets to protest against uh, femicide. Exactly, and also the fact that the media is now talking about those femicides. And so, due to this pressure, the government is opening more facilities or places for perpetrators, for women, which is a good thing, at last, I would say. I mean, we've been asking for it for years. I think it's not enough, but uh, the government will say, well, it's a start. Okay, let's do it. Um, What else? There's things like new guidelines for the police and uh, gendarmes to be able to evaluate the levels of violence. As a lawyer dealing with sexual violence, if all these measures are put into place, would you say that it will definitely encourage more women to come forward? If we are to tell women, go and file a complaint and go in front of the courts, we also need to give the courts the means to work properly. In Europe, we are one of the countries who has the least judges per capita. So it means money for women, but it means money for justice, it means money for police to have people who can do their job properly. Today, in France, a judge who wants to work properly can't do it because it doesn't have the mean to do it. So the government has a budget of 360 million euros. It would seem that the money isn't enough. Violence against women costs 3.5 billions a year. For example, when you take into account all the health stuff, the fact that the woman has to change uh, work, that, well, if she dies, of course, it's a cost for the children also who have to be taken care of. All those costs linked is 3.5 billion a year. So when we ask 1 billion, it's not that much. Do you think the lack of funding is a sign of lack of political will? I think it is. We know that when something is important, the budget is here. We have to keep up the pressure on the government and to get this money because it's owed to women, it's owed to kids, it's owed to the families of the victim. I mean, we can't accept that in France so many women are killed when those killings could have been prevented. And we're a rich country. I mean, it's not like we don't have the means to put on the table. We have them. It's just a question of priority. So do you think Grenelle was useful? We've been talking on violence against women a lot in the media. And for example, the fact that in a newspaper called Le Journal du Dimanche, the front page, front page of this newspaper, the Ministry of Justice, Nicole Belloupé, recognized that the justice was failing women. I think this is absolutely new. That's the first time that we hear that from a Ministry of Justice. On the question of changing mentalities, because sexual violence isn't taken seriously in France, the measures do include training teachers, also training police officers and making judges more aware. So there would seem to be a willingness to really educate. It already existed, but it was on a voluntary base. Now it will be mandatory, which is great. It has to be mandatory. And I also think all these big Grenelle des violences conjugales and all the, the talks that were around this Grenelle have 
contributed to change the way we look at violence against women. I think, for example, if a neighbor here that uh, his neighbor is shouting for help, he will call the police, whereas before he might have not. This is a real change in France, in real life of people. She, she ends there kind of on a positive note in terms of the culture shift that things are changing, um, though she did say that the money, though, just isn't there to fight this stuff. No, it's nowhere near enough. It's actually no more than was available last year. The bill will be put before Parliament at the beginning of next year. It's likely to pass because the government has a majority in Parliament, but it will clearly require a lot of clever accounting if they're going to be able to put these changes into place and, as Marjorie said, prevent what are avoidable deaths. This week, 215 years ago, was an important day for Napoleon Bonaparte. December 2nd, 1804, Napoleon crowned himself Emperor of France. It was quite an audacious move for an outsider. Yeah, because, I mean, he wasn't even born in France. He was born in Corsica, mm -hmm. right, which had only become part of France the year he was born, in 1769. Yeah, and he had no royal lineage. Um, though he had proved himself, he crowned himself with the blessing of the French people. And since then, I think French leaders have been trying to repeat his success, <laughs> haven't they? Yeah, so Napoleon came to power in 1799. That was the end of the revolution and he ruled as first consul he was essentially the dictator but he did put in place many reforms that people really did appreciate he revised the french legal system in march of 1804 the civil code was adopted called the napoleonic code it still exists today replaced the patchwork of laws that came before it was really the first pan-european legal system um, that year he also decided he wanted to create a new office to let's say solidify his power and prestige but the revolution had turned and people against royalty, hadn't it? It was, after all, a decade of bloody fighting to try and get rid of the king. Yeah, yeah. So Napoleon had to find another role. Um, he looked to ancient Rome, was inspired, and came to the idea of crowning himself emperor. He did know he needed popular support, though, so he held a referendum uh, for people to approve the title, and they agreed. 99.93% wow. of the vote. Um, would everyone who does a referendum like that get those kinds of results? I think not. Yeah, well, but at the time, I guess, the idea of being lorded over by an emperor was the price to pay for prosperity and stability. So he avoided the title of king, but he certainly celebrated like one. Yep, his coronation full of pomp and circumstance, though he did try to differentiate himself from the Bourbon kings who came before. So that day, December 2nd, it started out cold. It had snowed a bit overnight. Workmen hurried to clear out the procession routes that would go through the streets of Paris to the Notre Dame Cathedral. The musicians were in place when Napoleon started the procession, 9 a.m. 25 carriages, 150 horses escorted by the military with all the dignitaries with them, down Rue Saint-Honoré, crossing the Pont Neuf along the quai to the cathedral. Uh, Napoleon arrived late morning. He was accompanied by the Pope. Uh, they were met by the Archbishop of Paris, and then he put on his ceremonial clothes, white silk trousers, a tunic, and a cloak of purple velvet edged with ermine, very kingly uh, or emperorly, and decorated with golden bees. Bees? Yep. The bees were to replace the fleur de lys, that was the symbol of the previous royalty. The bee was the symbol of the ancient kings, and Napoleon was trying to connect himself with France's first monarchs rather than the Bourbon dynasty. 
in Notre Dame, he sat on a throne, and the ceremony lasted about four hours. After getting all the blessings, he picked up the crown with the laurel leaves. It was a design based on Charlemagne's crown, and he crowned himself. Wow. The ultimate move for the self-made man. Not by divine right, not because of his royal lineage. What a story. I didn't realize that he crowned himself. Mm. That certainly does take some audacity. And despite his fall from glory at the very end, the, the French still remember him, don't they, as this strong authoritarian leader who was, in a way, quite progressive in his early years. Mm. There's a sort of fondness in the mythology around Napoleon. Um, and you could even say that the French are still drawn a bit, or at least tolerant of this kind of strongman type, the strongman male leader of today. Women today are having children later and later in life. Increasingly, when they get pregnant for the first time, they're in their 30s. Yeah, yeah. So the average age for a first pregnancy in France is 28 and a half. That means that there are a lot of people getting pregnant later than that. Um, in comparison, in the 70s, that age was 24 years old. Yeah, because they're working on their careers, aren't we? <laughs> uh, rather than, and that means they're not meeting their partners until a bit later. Yeah, and making different life decisions, like in many Western countries. Um, and this postponing, though, has an impact on their ability to conceive. Because women's fertility starts going down with age, especially after the age of 35, it becomes complicated. Yeah, that's what the studies have shown. And if you don't have a baby before then, there is an option to plan to anticipate and freeze some of your eggs so that you can have younger eggs to use when you want to get pregnant later. It's a medical technique that's available, but in France, it's not legal for now. So since 2011, egg freezing has been allowed for women who suffer major medical problems that could interfere with fertility. But there's this new bioethics law that's being debated. Um, we've talked about it before. It's the one that'll allow for medically assisted procreation for single women and lesbian couples. Um, another provision in that law would allow egg freezing for any woman, regardless of her medical condition. So while we're waiting for the law to change, Sarah, what options do French women have? Not that many. So they can go to Spain, where egg freezing is legal, but that's expensive and you have to go to Spain. But there are some doctors who are willing to bend the rules here in France. Um, Michael Grinberg is one of them. He's a fertility specialist. I met him in his office at the Antoine Beclair Hospital in Clamart, just outside of Paris. Um, he says he always looks for a medical reason to freeze a woman's eggs, because for now, that's the law. Grinberg receives patients here in his office at the hospital. He's a young guy. Today he's wearing jeans and Air Jordans. He's receiving a woman who's 31. She's getting ready to have her eggs frozen. She has endometriosis. It's a condition where the uterus swells painfully, and she's been taking hormone treatments for the pain. But the treatment interrupted her fertility, made her ovaries dormant in a way. Three months ago, she stopped the treatment to see what would happen. Grinberg said her ovaries appear to be working normally again. He wants to extract her eggs now before she goes back on the treatment. She explains that she's single, so she probably won't be trying to have a baby naturally right now anyway. So the egg freezing is a kind of insurance. If she can conceive naturally in the future, she won't need them. But if not, she has the eggs. We know that endometriosis is associated in some patients with infertility. Greenberg says increasingly doctors are willing to freeze the eggs of patients suffering from endometriosis.
But what about those who have no obvious medical problem? Gringberg calls this social freezing. It's women who are concerned that they won't find the right partner in time to conceive before it's too late. We are always trying to help this patient and try to find something if there is, but it's never something which is not the truth. But if we have something we can push on that point to consider it a medical problem, then we go for it. Grinberg's patients often come to him after trying to conceive naturally for a long time. Women and heterosexual couples in France have access to IVF, in vitro fertilization. It's a medically assisted way of conceiving. Women who show that they've been unable to conceive naturally can do this until the age of 43. But that's using their own eggs at the time that they come in for the procedure. And as Grinberg explains, egg quality decreases dramatically after the age of 35. That's a fact. And we have more and more patients coming to us for infertility. Women are now in the modern world. Uh, women postpone the pregnancy. More and more people divorce and want with their new boyfriend or uh, when they're married to have another kid. And unfortunately, for most of these women who are not able to conceive naturally, we're not very performant because the egg quality is not good enough. And we do not have any techniques that is able to improve uh, the egg quality. The only thing we have now to try to avoid this problem is to fix the time by freezing eggs. Fixing time, freezing time. The only way to increase the chances of IVF working is to use younger eggs. A woman over the age of 36 has a 5 to 10 percent chance of conceiving a child through IVF. If she uses eggs that she froze before she was 35, her chances of conceiving the child go up to 60 percent. And Grinberg's frustrated that he can't offer this option to his patients. If older women are allowed to go through IVF, why not give them access to a technology that ups their chances of success? In France, you're only allowed to freeze your eggs if you have a severe medical reason. Maybe you're going through radiation therapy for cancer, or you have a serious disorder that interferes with fertility. But he finds ways to bend other diagnoses, like endometriosis. We can consider that in a patient with even very low or small endometriosis, if there is endometriosis, then we can consider that she has a medical reason. As many of my colleagues, uh, we try to find, if possible, a way to, for these women who doesn't suffer from cancer or for any heavy disease, for which it's difficult to consider it's a fully medical reason, we can try to think about decreased ovarian reserve test. So if I consider that a woman of 36 with low antimullerian hormone or low antral follicle count, meaning that probably her ovaries are not endowed with many, many eggs, I will consider that this patient has low ovarian reserve, so possibly she could benefit from uh, the egg freezing. This could be discussed for sure, but I consider this could be considered medical. The law has been written in a way to enable the physician to consider what could be medical and not medical. I try to consider this law as very permissive. He can make that medical call, and he's never been challenged by the Social Security Administration or an ethics board. But really, Grinberg doesn't think there should be need for any medical reason at all, which is what the new law would provide. He says this would clarify the situation for doctors. 
we are always considering am I really in the low or am I a little bit outside? We don't know. So I hope with the new low it will be easier for us to say am I really in or am I outside? Ultimately, for Grinberg, there's a huge need for information about fertility in France. Many patients come to him in their late 30s, not at all aware of how much their fertility is dependent on their age. It's crazy the, the number of patients coming to, to my office saying, I didn't know. I thought that IVF or some other medical technique could help me. Even if I'm 38, 39, 40, they do not have any information about this. So... Uh, we need to improve the knowledge of this uh, of all young patients because they need to build their career and their life with this knowledge. This is important. So, sorry, it's true that if you don't know, uh, you're clearly unable to make those kind of decisions. What is interesting about this fertility debate is the question of how much the state has a say in the decisions individuals make. Exactly. And, of course, it's always a balance in all of these questions. Um, the paternalistic state that supposedly has your best interests at heart versus your own ability to manage your life. Now, France, of course, has always leaned towards the former. Um, but there were concerns raised during this debate over the egg-free provision in the law. Um, the provision passed, by the way, with 39 of the 44 MPs present, mm -hmm. not very many lawmakers there. Um, the bioethics bill in general did pass the National Assembly. It's now waiting to be read and approved by the Senate. So what were the bones of contention? Really, it was actually concerns about companies that if women can freeze their eggs, they'd be pressured by these companies to put off having children in order to focus on their career paths. Um, one lawmaker referred to a Bloomberg Businessweek cover article titled Freeze Your Eggs, Free Your Career. Ooh. Pretty sensational. Um, and an article, yeah, about companies doing just that. And, and there are companies, for example, Facebook in the U.S. Um, does cover the cost of egg freezing for their female employees, whether or not that puts pressure on them. And that's something else. Um, so the French law, as a result, does have very specific provisions in it prohibiting anyone for paying for the procedure for anyone else, that includes individuals or companies, to specifically address this issue. That's clearly one reason that this bioethics law is important. end of Spotlight on France, but <laughs> before we end, let's, let's have a bit of a gripe. We're in France after all. <laughs> go, go on then. All right. So we're recording this on Thanksgiving and tomorrow is what they call Black Friday. That's that consumerist bonanza. All the stores offer special deals a month before Christmas and it's taken over in France. It really is. We've been seeing announcements, not just about Black Friday, but it's been going on now for a week. This is Black Week. Yeah, Black Friday week. It's really weird for me to see this embraced in a country that doesn't even celebrate Thanksgiving. I mean, the date becomes so arbitrary. Um, and, and also, there isn't even this nod towards community that involves Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is a problematic holiday, but it, it is celebrated by spending time with your family and your friends and expressing how thankful you are. And here, it's just a day where you get a good deal in the shops. So, I'm very happy to say that some French MPs want to put the brakes on it here mm. because it doesn't really fit in with the 
you know, with this desired transition to a more eco-friendly lifestyle. So this week they passed an amendment in committee that would ban Black Friday publicity campaigns, which are literally everywhere in Paris. And the amendment was introduced by France's e former ecology minister, Delphine Bateau, and it amends France's anti-waste law, which does put a, a limit on overconsumption. So it calls out Black Friday for having, you know, a disastrous environmental record, encouraging people to acquire new stuff, loads of electronic gadgets and so on. The amendment summary also talks about it being based on the advertising value of overconsumption. Perhaps a nod there to the value coming from across the pond? I don't know. <laughs> Could be a bit of an anti-American uh, slant, I don't know. But the amendment now has to go before the National Assembly, that's France's lower house. So it's too late to stop this year's Black Friday publicity, but it could have an impact further down the line. That's it for Spotlight on France this week. The show was mixed by Julien Maguaru. We'd love to hear from you. You can always write to us at spotlight.france at rfi.fr. And don't miss an episode. You can find Spotlight on France wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. See you next week. Bye.